Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Uh, before we jump into this show, I don't have much to say today, which is unusual for me. Usually I just ramble. Um, but I will say, if you do enjoy the podcast and stuff, you can always purchase some really cool merchandise from the website or the social media pages. As well, I would like to thank the newest Patreon supporter of the podcast. That is, and I don't want to mess up her name, but Charlotte Pluvier. She is from France, and she's about to embark on a huge bikepacking trip across New Zealand. So that's really, really cool. And uh, she told me that she's looking forward to listening to lots of podcasts while she's out there. So thank you, Charlotte, for your support. As well, anybody else who loves the podcast, please feel free to go join me on Patreon and support the podcast. It doesn't have to be big, but it does help. So um, we are rolling into the end of the year slowly, and that's when all the monthly fees start adding up that I have to start thinking about um, where the next... Uh, where I'm going to make money up and find money for, you know, all the annual fees. So by supporting me, you help me get through all that, and I really do appreciate it. So thank you for helping me keep this going. As well, um, Laura of Stella Tandem messaged me, and I actually messaged her a while back. Uh, we were communicating. They were asking advice on um, abilities and possibilities of getting visas for Iran and whatnot and um, her and Stevie are riding their tandem bikes in a record-breaking attempt to circumnavigate the world so they're currently in Manitoba and yeah I thought I'd just give them a shout out and say check out Stella underscore tandem on Instagram or stellatandem.com and uh, check out their their mission and what they're trying to do and it's pretty cool so do that other than that that is it for today Everyone out there, I will uh, talk to you in a bit. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. 
If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bike packer, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. There you have it. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcasts, I'm talking with Larry Walsh, an American from not too far south of the Canadian border, New Jersey. Larry's cycling journey is not entirely uncommon. Major later in life changes led him to start cycling. Next thing you know, he was embarking on some amazing cycling journeys across the United States. In the aftermath of these uh, epic adventures, Larry decided to write a travelogue slash memoir to Chronicles of Adventures. And uh, today I have a chance to catch up with him, hear more about him, learn his story and uh, share it with you guys. So, Larry, welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm excited to be here and uh, it's always wonderful to meet new folks. Absolutely. And um, before, well, to start off, Larry, why don't you tell us about yourself and uh, maybe the the before cycling, Larry, and uh, sure, tell us your story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, gosh, where do I start? So, uh, well, I live in New Jersey, uh, 60 years old now. I'm married, three kids, and uh, I'm a basketball uh, fanatic. Uh, I enjoy cycling. Uh, my, my cycling kind of was, when I was younger, I used to, you know, ride my bike all the time as a kid mm-hmm. a couple of you know a couple of times we went on pretty extensive uh, tours when i lived i lived in pennsylvania and i went a, like a couple hundred miles with um uh with uh, with friends but um it was all for just for more for uh enjoyment you know recreation uh i was in the army did some mini triathlons you know oh, yeah. i get on the bike for 40 miles and do that but um my my real passion it was uh, was always basketball and and I hurt my my uh, foot uh, back in uh, 2017 and I couldn't couldn't uh, play basketball I wasn't getting any exercise I was out of a job and so I just started riding my bike again and uh, to get some exercise and that's really what led to what uh, really turned out to be uh, I mean just a sort of for me it was just kind of a crazy. Uh, one year period of time where I just kind of removed myself from, I guess, who had been reality and mm. cycled across the country twice, actually. Once was on a ride and the, the other was in a race. Yeah. And and then, of course, the books and so forth. But <clears throat> so, um, you know, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm a middle aged man that uh, that uh, was out of work like so many others and mm-hmm. decided to, to kind of figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And so I Went on a bicycle to try to figure those things out, but yeah. uh, that's about it. And I, w- I was reading the uh, the first chapter of your first book, and um, what I felt as there was such a common thread. I, I feel like personally, when I ride, it's therapeutic. You know, there's a, there's an aspect to it where you get into a whether you want to call it a flow state or um, you know a zen state or some kind of you get into just this. I get this feeling of like where things just come into my head and then gush out and, and I, I have deeper thoughts and insights into things, uh, you know, issues in your life or whatnot. Um, and I, and I, when I was reading your book or the in first chapter, um, I saw that you, you know, after losing your job unexpectedly, um, you kind of got into a bit of a depression and was this also something that like getting on that bike kind of quote unquote cured that or was it, um, you know, 
just a prop. I don't, I don't know. Tell us. I don't know. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I'm rambling. <laughs> no, I mean it's. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I've been asked this question so many times. I do a lot of, you know, a lot of talks and just uh, you know, about the cycling and then, of course, about just the, sort of the the change that we many of us go through jo- losing a job mm-hmm. for whatever reason. My mind decided to deal with it one way and other people, you know, relish that and they go on and they kind of conquer. I had to take a bike ride to figure things out. Mm. But I think for me, uh, Chris, you know, I always loved being uncomfortable. So whether it was when I was younger, I was in the Army you know, airborne school, ranger school, pathfinder school, aerosol. I mean, I, I was always looking for that that uh, sort of little bit of an unknown. But I always had control. Yeah. And I always sort of felt like, you know, I was making the decision to do this. You know, I wanted to go to this class. They accepted me, so therefore I'm going. I put myself into an uncomfortable position, but I was always under control. Mm-hmm. I, I had lost that. And that's really, I think I was not only uncomfortable because everything was upset the routine was upset but mm-hmm. i um i had lost control and so i think part of it was for me just uh, um a way to regain control un- unknowing at the time that's what b- getting getting on a bike was going to yeah. do for me um and uh so, so so that's sort of what was the trigger for me to kind of eventually you know get out to san diego and 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 start riding um but the other thing was just this idea of, you know, I was I was out of a job, 56. You know, I, my job is to, you know, to support the family. We had, you know, one kid still had to go through college. Two are out, thankfully. But, mm. you know, you got to you got to make some money and pay the bills and all that. So my head was, you know, the logical part was saying, you know, dude, get a job. Yeah. And uh, the heart was saying, you know, don't saddle. And I just remember uh, just thinking, you know, that. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And it was, and really the the cycling part of it, Chris, was, it, you know, I, going back, I'm going back 35 years now. When yeah. I was living in California, my company was in New York. I'd fly back and forth across the country. I'd look out the airplane and just marvel at the landscape below and just kind of wonder, man, I'd be so cool to ride my bike across the country. Never thinking I would do that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so to kind of go back to the question about the depression, it's like, it was, you know, I was getting help uh, and I was starting to get some exercise, which I needed. And then while on the bike, just like you said, the mind is just so free and clear, just Mm -hmm. there's no other worries in the world. And I was thinking on uh, in my little town of Mendham, New Jersey, when I was riding around town, just like, oh my goodness, I want to ride my bike across the country. And that's really what kind of, kind of set it for me but it was the exercise it was the support from my family and of goes good old-fashioned medicine and those three things helped me to kind of make that decision to get on the bike or to get on a plane to mm-hmm. get on a bike eventually out in san diego how uh, how long did you serve in the forces for or in the army i should say i was in oh, so i was uh seven years i was in college i was a rotc reserve officer training course oh, so yeah. It's, yeah uh so yeah, so I, I was commissioned second lieutenant, and you know, I, you know, was in Louisiana, Texas, Alabama, um, uh, Georgia, and then overseas in Korea. Interestingly enough, on the southern tier, the route I took, I rode uh, by many of the places I was stationed. Oh, okay. So the, I, I share I share in the book a lot of the uh, the stories. It's a lot of reflection. Uh, and, and really just sort of, you, I, I rode by and I remember one 
in Louisiana. We rode by Oakdale, Louisiana, and all of a sudden, just my mind flashed back to to eighty four and eighty five, yeah. and you know the stories and stuff. So, I, I share that, and I think um, you know, I didn't have the aha moment. You know, it wasn't like I I found myself or anything like that. I you know I always was curious, like, oh my goodness, is this is this kind of how you do it, right? You, mm-hmm. you kind of take a ride and all of a sudden you have that aha moment. For me, that wasn't what happened. It was when I was actually write, writing the book afterwards uh, that I realized that, my goodness, it, it's, it's the, the, the life I've lived has been pretty incredible. And that's, that's really what kind of got me thinking about, my goodness, let's move forward and continue to do what I'm doing mm-hmm. to enjoy life. Don't worry about everything that happened over the last 10 or 15 years. So that was, you know, the bike was an amazing uh, experience for me, Uh, not only the physical part, but the mental part as well. Yeah, I was in, uh, I was in Korea in 2008 and nine, probably a few years later than you were there. Um, (laughs) I had a lot of army buddies there and um, they really enjoyed their time in Korea because I think, you know, it, by by the mid two thousands, it was just you know they they have a lot of fun partying and stuff, and it's pretty great if you're oh. in Seoul or. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was there in eighty seven, eighty eight, and it was it was a blast. Uh, you just you know you're immersed with just like you're all your your uh, your buddies. You know, twenty four seven, and you got the common mission, but you're also you know you, you just and all the cultures are thrown in. You know, it's you don't really kind of think about that part of it. Everybody is just kind of a it's a it's a it's a team. It really is a team, and yeah. so that was really uh, rewarding for me to go to serve in Korea, and of course seeing that culture as well. You know, yeah. living with the folks literally for a year, learned a couple of words, but uh, <laughs> not not too many. Yeah, I forget a lot of what I learned. I was pretty decent though by the time I left, but uh, I'm not not. Great, but I could have like taxi conversation, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Right. right, um, right so, how long right. was it before um, after after you started getting on the bike? You know, you said around New Jersey a lot, and how long was it before you decided to to cycle across the United States? What was the timeline? Yeah. There? So, yeah. So uh, this was Ju- June of uh, two eighteen. I um, I lost my job in March. Kind of, you know, April and May were a little bit challenging for me. I was riding my bike, uh, and I remember it very well. June, I think it was 22nd, came home and told my wife I was thinking about riding my bike across the country, and she said, "Just do it." She said, "You oh, know, okay. she she knew she knew I needed to to really take on something like that." Yeah. And she said, "By the way, it'll make you a more interesting person." <laughs> so, I said, <laughs> okay, I, I bought into that, um, and I always knew I wanted to ride uh, through the desert. So California, I just kind of knew that. And so I found the Adventure Cycling Association um, and called and said, hey, this is who I am. I'm interested. I wanted to do self-contained. And they said, we have something that's starting in two months, September 15th. And I was, that was me. So I said, okay, cool. So I asked, by the way, what kind of bike should I get? Because I didn't, I I mean, serious, Chris, I'm wasn't really you know i'm not an expert in the, in the types of bikes yeah. and all the gadgets and all that stuff I'm, I'm you know i'm a good athlete i love cycling and i'm a you know pretty strong you know cyclist uh and and so she said she said well you can get a salsa or a surly i said okay so i called up my local bike shop and i said his name is chad i said hey chad i need a bike and he's he said i can get you a surly so that's kind of what we did 
Nice. And uh, so I was REI's best customer for about three weeks. Um, <laughs> I, I re- uh, you know, basically uh, learned how to long distance cycling looking at YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And I go out and I, you know, kind of ride around town for a few miles. I get in the basement, lifted and did stationary bike um, and uh, shipped the bike out there probably first week of September. So from July and August, I basically kind of rode around town and got myself in shape and and um and went out and joined the others and that was wow. about it so i you know i am asked a lot of times you know kind of what was your training like and i i kind of stopped i said you know what i'm the last person you want to ask yeah because yeah. i you know i really you know didn't train that much uh at least what you would consider training um and you know honestly i t- i I think if I really had kind of thought about it logically, I would still be thinking about it, right? Yeah. You just got to dive in and just got to do it. I felt comfortable. I wanted to be in that environment. I felt like I was regaining control by going out there and, again, putting myself in an environment that I was going to be very uncomfortable with because I'd never been there before. And that's what I needed. And yeah. So that's what I did. And I think like if you have the time and you've been planning, you know, some people plan for years and they say, okay, in three years, I'm going to go. Or, you know, in my situation, I would like to do a year off of work. But the easiest way to do that is like an X over Y program as a teacher. Get paid for the next, you know, a reduced salary for the next four years and take the fifth year off and just be paid for a year while you travel. You know, that's kind of where I'm aiming for. But, um, you know, if you don't have that luxury, would your advice be just go for it? Don't wait. Like, don't let things don't let like your environment change your mind. Just go for it. Uh, Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, two things. Um, I I believe uh, it's not as difficult to do cross country as I thought it was going into it. I mean, there's no question whether. You know, there's a lot of variables that you can't control mm-hmm. for, sure. but the physical part of it is not as challenging. Um, it, and I didn't quite understand the concept of you ride yourself into shape, mm-hmm. and, but I did find that to be my experience. Um, you know, but the routes, you know, the adventure cycling maps are awesome, and I I didn't overthink it. I just just went out there and I wanted to do this. I do realize in I do realize that typically a, a cross country ride is the pinnacle of a long journey, a long life of cycling, right? And this was my first step. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, you know, I don't sort of take that lightly and I don't, you know, basically try to, to downplay that. I, I'm extremely fortunate that I was able to sort of take the time because that's the most challenging part. Who has three months? Yeah to do that and if you really need to get into shape and all of that who has a year like you said mm-hmm. and fortunately I, um, I had the support from family and um, and I didn't have a job so I, I like you know I I could just uh, like just knock off that bucket list item yeah. that I actually yeah, never thought I would do it's perfect yeah. it's like hey so. kids start uh, we need some money <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so serious uh, question though now um, at what point did you start to wear lycra spandex I'm sorry say that again <laughs> a serious question what? at what point did you start wearing uh, spandex bike clothes oh oh I'm, I'm, I'm sorry so I, you know, it's funny um, 
I did buy two uh, two pair of the you know the pants and uh, and I felt the first time I went out at my in my house here I had you know the panniers on it you know everything was like an eighty five ninety pound bike and you know I was wearing my uh, my spandex and I went out there and I have to say it's like okay I don't know if I want people to look at me but um, it was it was that was it so I think it was probably like July of two eighteen and you know I didn't turn I haven't you know, turn back. Um, I had some saddle sores, you know, a little bit yeah. in te- Texas. And, you know, I, you know, I, that was my biggest, that was the thing that really convinced me to, to get the right kit, to get the right equipment. Um, because that was my biggest concern and whether, you know, whether I had the right, you know, cycling, yeah. uh, shorts or not, I don't know. Uh, but that was one of the reasons why I did. Um, and, and so, but it's now part of my routine. Yeah. I know lots of people like when they're like, Oh, I would never wear Lycra and blah, blah, blah. And, but you know, once you, if you're going to go for a long bike ride and you're going to be doing it days on end, you, you'll be so much more comfortable just to dress, you know, dress the oh. way that they do, you know, oh, tight oh, fitting clothes that doesn't chafe, doesn't slide around. And yeah. Um, well, I, I, I will get into it. I had, I mean, I had, a little bit of a, a saddle sore problem the first one mm-hmm. in texas uh it was manageable but it was a, a much bigger problem uh on the race yeah. when i was in wyoming and it was i i felt like it was going to be a showstopper and i was able to sort uh. of figure some things out but um there those are um you know that's the saddle source is was the biggest problem and my my hands are still numb even after that my fingers because of the you know the the nerve stuff yep. that's, I don't, I don't know if that was my technique or what, but I still have that uh, mm-hmm. limit limitation a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you, you did mention you got a Surly. Um, was it a disc, disc trucker or was it? Yeah, I presume it was. Right? Yeah. Surly disc trucker. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I get just regular, the four uh, pin ears. Yep. And like I said, I was, I was a uh, I was I was a frequent guest at REI. <laughs> yeah, I have a here. I had a question. Did you get? Did you do some good sized uh, shakedown rides to get a better understanding of what you need to bring and what would be irrelevant? But I know the answer is no because you already kind of told us you had two months and that was it. And <laughs> that's about it. I uh, you know I I was in the army, so setting up a tent and all yeah. that stuff that was not a big deal. I think I went on a couple of rides, maybe forty mile rides with full like a full gear just to. Uh, you know, kind of get used to the, to the bike. Yeah, and the field, that was it. Yeah. yeah, that was it. And, um, where did you, you did mention like, you know, YouTube videos and stuff, but like what other, what other places did you go to for advice and to, you know, learn tips and tricks and, um, may, I don't you, know what kind of things you want to, what you found was helpful so that listeners out there can gain from your Yeah. Experience. So, um, so I hadn't, um, changed a tire for 35 years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did find, uh, you know, my, the local bike shop where, I, where I, I bought the bike. I would go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy donuts and coffee and go in on a Saturday morning. And I would just sit there for hours on end watching them turn wrenches and do things, taking little videos in my iPhone, which I still oh, have awesome. in this phone right now. And, you know, if I ever needed it, I would just pull it out and um, – and that was it. And so uh, I I felt like I had enough if I had some problems with changing a tire, mm-hmm. uh, if there was a problem with maybe the chain or whatever, I could deal with that. But, you know, the big things, I again, I didn't uh, – I said if I really tried to become, 
you know, a, have a PhD in, 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 you know, bike mechanics, I'm never going to go. So I just sort of did the basic stuff and uh, I, I crossed my fingers and, and I went out there. And then the other thing I did is, um, you know, just make sure, we, you know, all the, the air pressure, the brakes and just clean it up every yeah. day and all that. Made sure I did the proper maintenance so that, you know, if there is a 5% chance that I could reduce some mechanical problem because of proper maintenance, then, and that turned out to be the case. Uh, but that, you know, just, again, it was just sh- short videos if that's what I needed. And uh, luckily I didn't, I didn't need it because I didn't have any flat tires. No, it's good. It's, there's a lot to be said um, about how key a role the local bike shops can play in like somebody who's new to cycling or who's looking to, you know, take that extra step because, you know, their, their job, like they want to, they want you to come back as a customer. And if you just ask them nicely, like there's a very good chance that they'll say, yes, come on in. We'll show you how to change a tire. We'll show you how to do this and that, you know, and um, it's in their interest and it's your interest. Like it brings business and keeps it in the community. And that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. I know. I, I, I would just say, add to that, Chris, I totally agree with that. And I, um, you know, I was asking really uh, basic, naive questions and I didn't feel, uh, you know, they, they didn't dismiss me at all. They knew I was serious mm-hmm. about what I wanted to do. So they were, they wanted to help because I was putting the time and the effort in. And, um, and so, you know, whether a larger kind of bike store that churns a a lot of bikes every day and a lot of customers would have had that same, I don't know, but I found this a little mom and pop and uh, it yeah. was a wonderful experience. And then when I went out to San Diego, I have to say I was a little bit nervous just because, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And when I first saw everybody, I realized that, okay, I felt okay. Cause I looked like everybody else, yeah. you know, everybody it was just normal folks that just wanted to go across the country. Uh, they had more cycling experience than I did. Um, but I, my contribution was my my strength, so I could carry some more of the gear, the group gear, the pots and the pans and whatever, and my attitude. I knew there were going to be challenging days across the mm-hmm. country, and and you know having been in whether it's sports or military, you know there's going to be ups and downs, and you know it's how you did approach the kind of challenging times. I knew that I could be that sort of positive experience. And I, that's what I could contribute to the team because I wasn't about to contribute, you know, anything related to, to, you know, sort of expertise in cycling because I had never done that before. (laughs) So I, I, I stayed in my lane. I stayed in my lane. Um, Prior to, you know, when you were at that point where you, you shipped your bike, I I did read that, that you shipped your bike to San Francisco, right? San San Diego. San Diego. Diego. When you shipped your bike off, were there any thoughts at this point? Like, okay, shit, I'm all in right now like there's no turning back or maybe i shouldn't do this am i making a mistake um um i not not i'm making a mistake but i definitely uh the the first night i i, I got there i stayed in a, a in a motel and then the, the next day i is when i met everybody when i left that motel the next morning and i was arriving up to the hostel i realized it's like oh my goodness i said you know i i i guess i am doing there's no turning back yeah. um I, I would just say the one time I really was concerned was about 10 miles outside of San Diego oh, okay. first day and my group gear uh, fell off, it kind of almost fell off the front rack. And, you know, I just was, you know, I didn't know how to, you know, kind of 
do the bungee cords properly or whatever. And it was just, and I got lost like in San Diego, like eight miles out of it. And when I say get lost, I was lost for like a minute or two, but still (laughs) it was like, really, is this kind of the way it's going to be like for the rest of the 3000 miles? Um, But I never once said, Oh my goodness, why am I doing this? I just, I'm here and there's no turning back. There's no doubt. I had that, kind of feeling when I first got to, into San Diego. Did you, um, you know, having not done any major rides prior to that, did you have anything that you packed that you're like, I absolutely don't need this and shipped it home or anything unusual that you took that you thought was, oh, this was a really clever idea to take this and it was worth the the extra effort, you know? Um, there were so many things. I couldn't even identify one. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's three, there are three mistakes. Again, YouTube taught me three mistakes a novice cyclist. You, you, you ride too long early in your ride, and we didn't have that problem because Adventure Cycling took care of it. You uh, you you ride with the wrong equipment, and then you bring too much mm-hmm. too much equipment. I ended up going to the post office no less than probably eight or nine times across the country. <laughs> okay. And you know, you know, you think you need. It. I mean, it was. It's actually I'm embarrassed at how much stuff I actually brought with me because. You know, and I even like I, I reduced that by fifty percent or yeah. even more on the race, and I still had too much stuff on the race. It's like yeah. you don't need everything. You know, you just basically you just you just need enough for three or four days, and you just recycle that for the rest of the you know the the ride. So yeah. I, I honestly wish I could tell you one thing, Chris, but I it's just a huge list. One hundred yeah. things. I, there's I just didn't need. All right, so let's much do it. Top one hundred things you don't need on a bike tour. Go. <laughs> No, I actually that's a good idea. I think because I'm always looking for ideas, like for newsletters and stuff. Oh, yeah. You just gave me a great idea, so thank you. I hope you'll oh, share my it goodness. on uh, my website too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So let's talk about the Southern Tier bike route. Um, what exactly is it? How long is it? Where does it go? Um, I don't know much about it other than the little map I saw. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it starts in San Diego, uh, go you know California. It's the southern tier, so the southern states. Mm-hmm. You you cross into um, Arizona. Uh, we had a zero day in, in Tempe, uh, which was really nice. And then uh, Arizona, you get into New Mexico. Uh, you, you go into Texas through Las Cruces and El Paso, so the southwestern part of the okay. state, real close to the Mexican border. And um, you're in Texas for essentially 1,000 of the 3,000 miles. Yeah, because Texas and is huge, right? It's huge. Three three weeks out of the nine weeks we're in Texas. Um, and then you, you, we go into Louisiana. And then from Louisiana to Mississippi, Mississippi into Alabama. And then you go, we went, we go through uh, Florida. You go on the Panhandle, and you eventually get into St. Augustine in Florida. Okay. And so, yeah, it's really, um, you know, and so we were on the bike for 57 days. I think we had nine zero days. So we okay. had, you know, an extra day here and there every week or so. And what was so interesting, you think, oh, my goodness, Texas, like three weeks has got to be boring. Every day is a different experience. And it's it's a different experience because of weather, because of you know winds, because of humidity, because of uh, you know the landscape. Um, but just because Texas is like a desert, it's still a different experience every day. And that was oh, the biggest okay. su- surprise for me. Uh, ne- never bored, 
uh, always, you know, sort of searching and, and just, you know, meeting people and stuff. It was just, it was incredible. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. And what's the elevation like on this route? I mean, I'm assuming it's not as bad as like further north but i'm I'm not really sure yeah so there were um the the total elevation climb was about eighty thousand feet okay uh from from you know from uh west to east the highest peak was the highest point is um emory pass in, in new mexico, new mexico it's about sure, eight thousand yeah. five hundred feet i think is what the um but you know california's kind of got some you know kind of good hills um, but it wasn't nearly as hilly as the, the Transamerica, yeah. the race, you know, I did several months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was it like to ride with a group of people you didn't really know on, you know, bef- two days before the event, you didn't know any of them. And what's it like to, to ride with a whole bunch of strangers? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, it was a great experience. I mean, everybody got along, um, I mean, essentially, the first night we get there, you kind of sit around a campfire and like go around the, you know, go around like, why are you here? And you tell your little story, and and then uh, after that, you know, they you they divide up the group gear, right? You know, everybody's carrying something, the pots and pans or the utensils or whatever, and then um, everybody rides the same route during the day, so it's anywhere average fifty five miles. I think lowest was forty, okay, and uh, and the most in a given day was I think close to eighty. Um, you eat breakfast and you eat dinner together and you're riding on your own during the day. And so pe- some people kind of rode together. Like there was a, a husband and wife couple that oh, was okay. there. A couple of like some of the stronger cyclists would ride together. They try to get into camp at one or two and they, you know, yeah. go into the pool or whatever. I, um, most of the time, I'd say 90% of the time I was riding by myself and uh talking and taking pictures and just really uh experiencing uh the you know the country i mean i had ridden my car across the country once before yeah. I, I, I and i don't remember anything you know it's like it, the the country's invisible but on a bike i wanted to sort of so you know see everything and talk to people so that's what i did and um it was fun we you know at the be- at, at the beginning you know, at night, you know, we kind of share stories. We'd have a map meeting. So the, our leader would tell us a little bit about the next day's ride, um, you know, the routes, if there was going to be some construction or whatever. And we'd all go around, kind of share some stories. That did fade after a while because it got kind of, you know, again, it was like as the weeks wore on, it's like it, and the weather got really nasty. 
it, it's like, you know, you're not so excited about sharing all the stories at night, right? You just yeah. want to eat and, okay, tell me where we're going tomorrow and then do your thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was it was it was a lot of fun. You know, what's so interesting, though, uh, as I think as I fast forward to St. Augustine, you know, the cool part is like you 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 dip your tire into the Pacific Ocean, you know, the ceremonial mm-hmm. dipping of the tire in one ocean. And the idea is to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, hopefully several weeks later. And um, so when we got into St. Augustine, you know, you, you, you kind of get there and. You know, you take some pictures and it's, you know, people at that point had sort of disconnected, ready to go home into the real world, right? You kind of shake hands, give mm-hmm. hugs and, you know, have a good life. And, you know, I do keep in touch with some of the you know folks now, but it's, you know, it, it's like you said, I met them for the first time nine weeks before intense, you know, communication and, and literally living with these folks for nine weeks. And then it's back to kind of the your world right yeah. you know it's kind of like the your i heard it once described as living in a parallel universe um and it's kind of i didn't quite understand what that meant um but i definitely do now because so before we I jump did, into that yeah. though sorry um let's let's talk about the 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 adventure itself um pretty open-ended question talk us through the route i i imagine that new mexico had to be probably one of the really difficult parts because i i've read so much about their peanut butter mud and you know it's got some big the high i think the highest points in the continental or the lower 48 um are going through new mexico and it's supposed to be really tough so uh but what else is it what, what else made this um tell us about the trip in general you know what were some of the yeah so highlights? um um so so some of the highlights are really people that i met and okay. some of the stories uh, I'll, I'll share one of those in, in a in a moment, um, but um, the you know weather wise, it was extremely hot, over 100 degrees, and uh, for the first you know week or two in California and Arizona, uh, Arizona is also very hilly, oh, okay. um, part- particularly uh, particularly east of um, uh, of Phoenix. And um, and what was so interesting also, Chris, was, you know, the Pacific Ocean, you know, is where you see that in San Diego. It wasn't until 400 miles east of San Diego. uh, It it, it just and it was just east of Phoenix where I saw my next body of water. Oh, which is kind of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so dry and desert and all of that. And, And I'm sure there were other creeks or whatever. I just didn't see them. You know, it was like for me, that's. And I kind of share that very different in contrast that from, you know, different parts of the country. Yeah. Um, New Mexico was the my my favorite state because it was the most surprising and okay. the beauty, um, the the town Silver City is like really really cool. I want to go back there again. You know, it's just like what it, I would imagine what it was like. You know, hundred years ago, um, that was that was really cool. Um, Arizona for me was it was fun, but the the roads were the, a lot of debris. Surprisingly, oh, okay. uh, on the road, um, Louisiana had a lot of debris on the road as well, and it was very impoverished in many areas that we oh, went yeah? through. Yeah, um, and and um, you know by design you want to stay off the the highways as much as you for possibly sure. can, so you're going through you know. 
Uh, Mississippi was wonderful. The roads in Mississippi. I would I would actually ride Mississippi again because it was mm. that nice. The roads. I've heard really good things about Mississippi. Yeah, um, and then um, and then so Florida. Um, so it was about a month or so before we got to Florida. There was a hurricane. It was Hurricane Michael. It hit in 2018. It was September. It was a Category Five. It hit the Florida Panhandle. And, it, you know, it came up and destroyed campgrounds and everything. So we had to reroute. We had to go up, like, instead of going along uh, the the shoreline, mm-hmm. like, you know, down by Panama City and Pensacola, we had to go up about 50 miles and then cut across. And here we were a month later arriving in, you know, in Florida after the hurricane hit, 50 miles north of the epicenter. And there was still debris scattered the trees were destroyed, blue tarps on the houses. And so it was, um, you know, it wasn't, and it was rain, it was raining and stuff. So the Florida sunshine state experience that you hope was yeah. not so much the case for, for us. Um, but you know, it was every, it was just, um, gosh, it was every day was just a different experience. Uh, you know, the headwinds, were nasty in many in many cases um humidity was horrible in some places in texas uh i love the hills so i didn't mind the hills at all and i don't mind the heat i mean 100 degrees mm-hmm. for me was was not a problem um but the, the headwinds a lot of times in, in texas the headwinds would would kind of get get to me and and uh you know i, I would yell at the you know, yell at the sky more times than I can remember. <laughs> you got to get angry at somebody or something. So, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so, were you guys j- just a little bit unlucky, I guess? Because typically the winds, prevailing winds, are west to east. But I, I mean, I've known people to cycle across Canada and say, "Man, I got hit in the prairies with a headwind every day," and I'm like, "Oh man, I was lucky. I was complete tailwind." You know? Um, yeah. But I guess it just depends on seasons and. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I, I've heard and I've read that uh, west to east is better than going east to west, um, and perhaps it is. Uh, and, you know, there were days that it was really difficult because, you know, the, the headwinds and you know what it's like when you're riding mm-hmm. a bike and oh, it, yeah. you feel like your tire's in, a, in quicksand, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, I, that, that, you know that, was the mo- that was the most difficult mentally knowing that I had, you know, 50 miles to get to a location and I'm pedaling as hard as I can and I'm really going nowhere Yeah. And with, with 80 pounds. And it's like, I, I didn't, you know, I had to mentally move beyond that. And so I played head games. I'd play, I, you know, I had, you know, I played this game in my mind about the four H's, the hills, headwinds, humidity and heat. And one tries to outdo the other. And, <laughs> you know, when, when, you know, and this is my, my mind, right. And so, you know, when the, when the when the hills decide, think they're going to be the baddest, then the headwinds decide that I'm going to come in and and I would think about this sort of thing, and two hours would pass, and twenty miles would pass, right? So that's yeah. how I kind of got through mentally, just playing games with my mind. That's wild, and um, yeah, and I guess as you also send stuff home in the post office, these terrible days became just a little bit easier because instead of eighty pounds, you then had sixty or fifty or whatever. Right. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I actually don't think. Um, y- yes, I definitely got. You know, I reduced some, pa- uh, some, some weight, but um, you know, it's a heavy bike to begin with. For sure. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, the big items like the tent and the sleeping bag and 
uh, you know, things like that I stayed, I didn't keep. It was a little like socks and, you know, stuff like that. I just, um, you know, I, I probably had five or six uh, spare tires, you know, like like spare, and I didn't need one of them. So, I, yeah. you know, it's a, those things I would send home because yeah. I knew at some point it's like, okay, I, I'll just stop at a bike shop if I need something. I don't need this. It's yeah. too much weight. Yeah. So tell me again, what were the four H's? Hills, humidity, heat, and? Yeah, the heat and the headwinds. Headwinds, that was it. Yeah, I like that. That's the first time I've ever out, heard they that all little try to outdo. They all try to outdo each other. I love right? it. That's the first time I've ever seen those four, uh, like the four H's. That's so true, though. Uh, yeah, so did you have a, were there any, like, holy crap moments or bad situations where, you know, you felt at, in danger or you know something happened where you were like what am I doing or ever like an out of your element type feelings um so not really that's good uh, on the first ride there were a couple of times in Florida you know get off the road and mm. out in Arizona a couple of those the trucks would you know kind of kind of punch it and you know the black smoke they try yeah. to coal, kind of get coal roll that. is that what they call it coal rolling or something I get yeah. yeah. I mean, stuff, a couple of things like that. But my goodness, with the thousands of opportunities to have, you know, a, a bad experience. I mean, mm-hmm. it really wasn't wasn't too bad. Um, you know, I was I was not, not concerned about you know uh, cars. I mean, I just I, that's not the way I rode. I mean, I just sort of always I was very conscious and very you know safe. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, was concerned about my safety, but you know, I had a little mirror you know i was you know aware i didn't listen to music uh except for one or two days uh safety reasons and plus mm-hmm. the winds they would make it difficult to, yeah. to hear um but no i was lucky not the case on the next ride but i'll tell you about that later yep. but yeah on the southern tier i was i was very fortunate okay and what did you most like about bike touring on this first big adventure what kind of uh what kind of hooked you yeah, well, um, for me, it was the people that I met and the towns that I rode through. Okay. And um, I, and again, I, I, I can't remember what I did yesterday morning, but I can remember in vivid details, you know, Marfa, Texas in October, meeting with, you know, a guy named Abe, who was my barber. And we had a conversation about how we perhaps had met 30 years before oh, wow. when, I, when I was stationed at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas, and he was a barber there. And, you know, the details of that conversation are just like I had it yesterday yeah. talking to you, Chris. Um, and that that the thing is 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 so rewarding. You know, in a, in a car, you, you go, you know, 300 miles and, you know, you stop at gas station, gas station, get a bite to eat and everything in between is invisible. But mm-hmm. in a bike, you know, that's the next town is the next destination. And that is the thing that was so enjoyable. And I realized, and, and this is kind of part of the motivation for writing the, the books is that, you know, I, I have a unique experience of, of riding through 520 towns in 18 states. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you combine the Southern tier and the Trans Am in, in a 10 month period of time, and you know the people that live in those communities um, are you really what brought it to life for me, you know. And I've been in touch with some of these communities afterward, just because um, you know some things that they represented and they're doing that I was interested in, and I wanted to have follow up conversations with them after I got home. Um, but that's you know that's the thing that I enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. 
I, I always find that um, I've got this feeling that like when you go the further south you go, the more relaxed and easygoing people are. Um, do you find that having ridden the north and ridden the south, do you, is is there that sense or is it kind of the same everywhere? You know what I would um, interesting. I I, um, I would actually answer that question a little bit. I think the the commonalities are the size of the town. Uh, more so about the size like, of the city versus the yeah. North, so it, like yeah. whether it's Tempe or whether it's uh, although we didn't do, go through big towns in the northern part, but you know the relatively larger towns and the Trans Am, you know they're a little bit more fast paced, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But it didn't it didn't matter if it was up north or south. It, it's small rural communities, everybody just sort of is a slow, is like just relaxing a little bit more, and you know they work hard, of course, mm-hmm. but. It's just a little bit of a less of a tempo than the city life. Yeah. And finishing, um, what was it like getting to the end when you, you know, dipping your wheel into the Atlantic Ocean and uh, realizing that it's all done? Like you said, everybody had to kind of go their own way. And now I guess it's a good time to touch into that parallel universe you kind of talked touched on. And- yeah. Well, um, so it, I was a, it was a little bit um, it was a little bit of a letdown for me. And I know that I'm supposed to say this was like is it's the perfect ending to whatever, and uh, but for me because I realized that I was re-entering that real world and I had to then, you know, go get a job yeah. and to support my family and I didn't have that aha moment, Chris. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this I want to take this, you know. And so when I got to the you know to the uh, ocean, of course, we all said our goodbyes. And I was extremely satisfied. I just was so thankful to have done it. But a part of me was, uh, it was a letdown because I was a little bit anxious about going back to New Jersey. And I, I was nowhere closer to thinking about what I wanted to do with my, um, with my life. Yeah, it's like the questions and, you were, the answers you were looking for didn't, hadn't found you yet, right? And, 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 and it, absolutely not. And um, so, so I, I came home. I came home day before Thanksgiving, and um, and and so I, I, you know, kind of back up. I I was never on social media or anything like that. Okay. And my kids said, "Dad, Dad, you got to do a Facebook page, right?" So I did reluctantly start before I started in San Diego. And what I found is that people were really interested, and so I was getting all these friend requests. And so that was motivation for me to do a post every night. Oh, okay, uh, nice. it was it was a way it was a way for me to um, kind of close the chapter for the day and prepare myself mentally for the next day. And sort of, you know, as I think about it now, that's exactly the benefit. Um, but as a result of that, when I came home, there were a lot of friends that were like, Oh my goodness, they wanted to talk, talk to me about oh, the ride. Cool. And um, so I had made a movie, you know, with all the videos I took, we had friends over my wife kind of created a theater experience in our living room. Like we had a big TV and, yeah, the the popcorn and the candy. They'd come over. I'd show them the video, and they'd ask all these tons of questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was interviewing at the time, by the way. So I found you know, and but I didn't get a couple of jobs. I'm thinking, of, in hindsight, I was probably more excited answering the questions about my bike ride than I was about the job itself. And yeah, you know, I kind of joke about it, but I think that's probably the case. Um, but but what was was happening is I realized I still had the cycling itch. And so as I'm sharing these stories and watching, you know, people watch the stories and just look and ask lots of questions, I mm-hmm. realize, oh, my goodness, I miss the road. Yeah. 
And so that's kind of was the sort of the trigger that kind of got me off to thinking about, okay, it's time to do this again. Oh, okay. So would you say you had the post-touring blues, I guess, to some degree? Um, um I definitely did uh, have that. And so I mentioned to you before where um, I realized that I was – um, I, you know, I would get into to camp at two or three in the afternoon, like towards the end of the Southern tier. And I just had more gas in the tank and I, I wanted to keep going, yeah. but there, you know, the tour was, that's, that was it for the day. Yeah. And so in, I think in my mind, I kind of probably had planted the seed several weeks before that I wanted to uh, take on a more, uh, adventurous and more challenging, more difficult uh-huh. ride. And that's what it was. And so I ended up, um, and I had heard about the Transamerica bike trail on uh, during the Southern Tier ride. There were a couple of the folks on that on that tour that actually had ridden the Transamerica bike trail. And it's you know it's four thousand two hundred miles. It's five mountain ranges. It's ten states. So it's a bigger, more challenging um, route. And um, I found a race. I found that Transamerica bike race, and I said this this is what I want to do. Cool. And so I, uh, that's, that's kind of what, that was the trigger that led me to reach out and to put my name in the hat. And, you know, then it was off to the races, you yeah. know, literally and figuratively too. So how, how did you, I mean, how many months were in between your um, Southern tier and the Trans Am bike race? And how did you prepare for that? Um, so it, I got back in December, uh, well, early December, you know, um, of 218 and then I left the end of May 219 so I decided to do the the Trans Am in April and so um I had about 8 weeks to prepare for that as well Fade in so uh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and this time my training was a little bit different I um I lifted weights a little bit more uh, not that that mattered, I guess, but I felt like maybe that would be helpful. And then we live in a hilly area, Chris, okay. so I uh, I really just would go up and down the hills. Like a we have a, like a fifteen percent, like half mile. Oh, nice! I would just do that. I would just do that, like you know, constant, just to like burn my legs, and um, and 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 that and that was it. So I had essentially you know eight weeks to prepare. I shipped my bike out to to uh portland oregon and you know and then uh this was at the end of may and and joined up with uh, 72 others from 15 different countries in astoria and we set out to to kind of conquer the trans am and were you still using the same bike or um had you changed yeah yeah, so no so i was still with my same bike um so i you know i'm a big guy six four two forty and a big bike so I was sort of definitely, uh, I don't know, I refer to it as, I was a unicorn there. Just, I mean, I totally looked out of place because, you know, all these, there was <laughs> some skinny you know, little, carbon yeah. fiber. Oh, yeah. There was some, and, you know, they had, you know, the, the bulging, you know, knee muscles. And, I mean, they were legit racers there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I knew I could ride across the country. I had just done it. But, you know, I had no idea what I was capable of, you know, racing, if I could do that in much longer. And I was a little bit intimidated. Um, you know, especially I heard one of the guys talked about training with a guy named Mark Cavendish. No, oh, geez. And I didn't even know who he was at the time, yeah. just to give you an idea. And then my buddy, my buddy told me, yeah, that's who he is. So, um, 
yeah so that was uh that was um interesting experience but i was definitely i had this chromoly steel bike and i still had my racks on you know it's like i didn't i didn't bring the paneers i didn't need all that stuff but i but i you know i brought a tent a sleeping bag and air mattress and a lot of these folks i mean they literally had a bivy and and maybe two or three other little teeny bags that they had their yeah. stuff. It was hardly anything that these folks were. Riding I know with. what it's like. I've, yeah, I've, uh, I, I pack pretty damn light these days. And, uh, sometimes I, <laughs> I meet a bike tour and they're like, so where do you sleep? Do you sleep in hotels? I'm like, no, all my sleep stuff is in this bag. And they're like, they look at it and go like, no, no, where's your, honestly, where's your sleeping stuff? You know, like, Oh, uh, well, I didn't want to get caught in the Rockies. No, you know, for sure. uh, with, with, and so, and so I, I still had a little bit too much stuff, not as much as Southern Tier by any stretch, but still I ended up going to the post office four or five times on the way across the, you know, the, the race as well, just because it's just a mistake I made twice. And I'm mm-hmm. sure I'd make it a third time if I did it. So, yeah. So it, this, I mean, the, the Trans Am is a significantly bigger route too. I mean, obviously the, the U S is a lot bigger and the North part uh, a lot wider than in the South, but, um, Tell us, tell us a bit about the route, uh, the numbers, all that fun stuff. I'm sure you know. Yeah, so ten ten states, uh, five mountain ranges. Um, so you, you initially you go, you're going over the Cascades, and then you go over the Bitterroots, then the Rockies, and then you got that stretch of uh, you know Great Plains uh, through Kansas mm-hmm. and eastern Colorado, and then uh, the Ozarks in Missouri, and then Little Ozarks which is like the most surprisingly difficult state was Illinois, Southern Illinois. Oh, for yeah? me. Huh. And then, um, and then you, and then you hit the Appalachians and the, like, like Eastern part of K- Kentucky up through Virginia. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And it was the hardest, um, was the Ozarks cause they're just constant, like up and downs and you never get enough. I'd never got enough momentum to get me to the top. Yeah. So you're constantly doing that. Um, the Ro- Rockies, Rockies weren't as difficult as I thought mm-hmm. they would be. Um, but that it's the highest elevation there. It said, who's your pass? It's like 11,500 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then total. So I had mentioned about 80,000 total, like elevation climb for the Southern yeah, tier. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the the Trans Am is about one hundred and eighty thousand. So oh, get, kind of give yeah. you, yeah, just kind of scale and scope. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so you you basically it's it's through Oregon, absolutely stunning, beautiful state. If there's a state you want to ride through, it's Oregon. Go through Idaho into Montana, and then you kind of um, wait a second. Yeah, then you go into uh, Wyoming, go through Yellowstone. And then you and you, then you go south directly south. Once you get over the Rockies, down to Pueblo, Colorado, and then it's a straight shot across the you know the plains. You know you basically are going eastern Colorado, Kansas, yeah. Missouri, Illinois, and then that last part is you know the Appalachians. And then the last you know fun thing you get to do about three hundred miles before the end is you get to climb Mount Vesuvius. So it's like it's three and a half miles of like, you know, I don't know, 15, 20%, whatever no, the number big, is. Okay. It's, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like 1500 foot, ele- you know, climb and it's at the end and it's, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, but I, I, uh, but I loved it. I, when I got to the top there, it's like, that's right at the base of the Blue Ridge mountains. It was like, the, it was pretty cool feelings. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm I mean, at the end. It's, 
I'm at the end, almost. Almost. <laughs> um, did you did you get a little bit luckier with the tailwinds this time, or? Uh... Um, the, um, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say, uh, the only time they were really, and I write about this was in Kansas when going East. So when you go to through Kansas, you, you, you go through in the middle part of the state, Western part of the state, mm-hmm. you exit on the Southeastern part of the state. So you're essentially kind of, you know, going East, South, East, South, you're kind of oh, zigzagging okay. through the state. When you're going east, uh, you, you know, I would cruise 20, 25, whatever miles an hour. When you hit south, you're stopping to three, four miles an hour because of the headwinds. Oh, so it was, it was constantly like that through Kansas. Um, but headwinds and stuff, the, you know, it was, it, it, I, I would say Texas was more challenging on the headwinds yeah. than, than, well, than the, the Trans Am. Yeah. Well, that's good. You got lucky there. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so I'd say, well, obviously, in terms of difficulty, the Trans Am is much more difficult because you got just way more elevation. It's a significantly longer route, too, I believe, right? Or something. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it's it's 4,200 miles, and the southern tier is like 3,100. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's definitely, it's, yeah, it's, it's longer. It's like an extra 25%. Yeah. 30%. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What was your goal heading into the race? I mean, uh, you know, compared to a bike tour that you're, you know, a paid bike tour with the uh, American Cycling Association. Now you're in an actual race. What was your, you know, how what what was your goal you set for yourself? Yeah, so um, I, I did a simple math exercise before I went, yeah. and that was like said, okay, um, 57 riding days in the Southern Tier. Uh, we did 3,100 miles, and the most I did was 80 miles in a day. So, and we averaged 55. So I said, you know what? I think if I can average 80, that would be pretty good. So all I did was take 4,200, divide it by 80, and I came up with about 53, 54 days. And then I created my, my okay. you know, my GPS files, you know, with, with, with that in mind, right? Trying to get across in, eight, in, in 54 days. And uh, like after day one, day two, day three, I was averaging about 100 miles a day, which for me is like really, really good. Um, you know, when I share with you what the winner did, um, that you'll, you it's like an amateur hour, uh, for me, but still for me, uh, you know, average hundred miles an hour, yeah. 57 year old, I was like pretty happy about that. And, uh, so, so, um, I ended up finishing it in 38 days instead nice. of 54. Yeah. And average about 109 a day. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, again, I, I kind of share this story, about sort of the mental sort of aspect of really taking that journey from a story, Oregon to Yorktown and kind of went, went through my mind as if, you know, you're on that, on the pedal or on the saddle with me, what kind of what's going on through my mind as I'm really thinking about, you know, trying to do better than what I initially thought I could possibly do. And so I, you know, 54 and then eventually it became, well, you know what, I'm going to average hundred a day. So that'd be kind of cool. Right. So that yes. gets me in at 40 days. And then I'm like, well, I don't want to do 40 days. I mean, I want a 30. So then that, I realize, yeah. <laughs> and it, so that, that, so then I'm like, I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, how do I do that? And I did the math in my head and I'm like, well, I have to have some really good days to put like miles in the mileage bank. Like if I get 200 miles or in the mileage bank, right. Yeah. Then I can get down under 40 days. And so that's how I played played my, you know, it played out throughout the, you know, across the country. And um, 
I had some t- challenging days early on. Those one, you know, like 57 miles when I, that was the, the saddle sore day when I really thought I was going to be able to, to wasn't going to be able to do it, uh, finish. And then I was able to kind of pick it up in the, in the plains and about four or five, six days before I finished, I realized I was like, you know, barring any kind of problem, I said, I'm going to finish this thing in less than 40 days, which was, which was kind of cool for me. Yeah. And I was just really excited about that until I have to, sh- to share one story. So I'm, I'm in Riverside, uh, Wyoming mm-hmm. uh, at night, you know, kind of just getting ready to settle in and get a good night's sleep. And, uh, I check our, you know, the Trans Am, uh, Facebook post and, uh, and the winner, Abdullah Zinab, finishes in 16 days. So he averaged, he's from Australia. I don't know, you perhaps even know who he is. Um, and he finished, like I said, and he averaged 254 miles a day. And here I'm pretty proud of myself sitting in like R- Riverside, Wyoming, you know, kind of like literally 10 days ahead of my my plan. And, yeah. you know, he's already at Yorktown. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is uh, so, but... But I didn't ride, you know, I, I, I rode, the, I did the race for myself. I for didn't, sure. comp- yeah. I didn't compete against someone else. I competed yeah. against myself. And I, so I, I rode maximum during the day, like 12, 13, 14 hours. I slept at night yeah. and, and that's how I did. And I, and I maintained that strategy for the whole time. And I'm, I'm happy I did because I don't know if I would have been able to complete it had I tried to, you know, run, ride someone else's race. You yeah, know? no, for like this guy, Abdullah Zainab, I'm sure he was, you know, riding on the saddle 18, 19, 20 hours a day, sleeping three, um, one hour of stop time somewhere mixed in there just to get food and buy stuff. And that's it, you know, like that's. Yeah. Uh, you do, it's not well, the same experience. I, I really like the racing aspect of uh, bike packing and stuff but at the same time you're not getting the same experience that somebody who's going at a little bit slower pace and you know it's just different so yeah yeah are, are you familiar with uh Leo wilcox i don't mm-hmm. know if uh, Leo. yeah so her her story uh really and i i didn't mention this up, up front i i heard about her before just making that final decision and that last day when, you know, the, the guy kind of goes uh, west the in wrong the middle way, of the yeah. night after. Yeah. And then she catches up and, you know, reportedly there's this conversation about, you know, hey, let's finish this thing together. And she's like, you know, no way I'm, I'm going to win this thing. I just was like so excited. It's like, oh, my God, that is the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And I do remember like I, I do remember thinking to myself, I want to I want to do that. I want to get yeah. to Bumpus, Virginia and, and see what it's like or feel what it's like to kind of experience what, you know, that, that story. So I, yeah. I, that was a really, for me, it was a motivating sort of trigger to help me kind of like push over the edge. And, and when I went to my wife and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this a second time, you know, she was like, well, listen, first time it makes you more interesting. How are you going to explain that second one? And I was like, you know what? I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And, um, so you did mention some health health stuff. Did you ever have any mechanical issues or major health issues? I think you said the chafing and I'm not sure what else. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a, uh, in, in Jeffrey city, Wyoming, I had a, a saddle sores that were really, they were v- very bothersome, very painful. Yeah. And, um, so I stopped, I got a little extra time off the saddle. I changed my routine a little bit. Um, I, I did desic, Desitin with zinc oxide, baby powder instead of kind of what I was using the other the other cream. Yeah, and um, 
and I just made sure I washed every day the pants and, and, and the, which I wasn't doing uh, in, a, in, a, in a laundry room. Sometimes I did it in like the river or the creek or whatever. And uh, so that was that was really from a from an injury stand from a like a health standpoint. That was it. Uh, mechanically didn't have any flat tires again. Nice. Um, I know I had a, uh, I had a rim problem in, in, uh, Damascus, Virginia. I had to re, uh, replace the rim and I had, um, what else did I have? And I think that was, that was about, it. I mean, just some sort of tune-ups and so forth, but that was pretty much it. I mean, I was very, I was sort of meticulous about, you know, again, kind of what I mentioned before about, you know, cleaning and making sure that, uh, you know, that everything was sort of as good as I could get it, you know, given my, my, you know, expertise or mechanical expertise. Did you ever have any, um, you know, seeing as this is a race and you're pushing yourself much harder than you did previously on the Southern tier, were there any, how does your mindset play into things? And did you ever have to talk yourself down from like really ugly feelings? Or I guess like probably the chafing one is probably a great example too. You said you had to really convince yourself not to quit, right? Yeah, no, that was um, that that was definitely the the one one time. Um, I'll tell you what the the most challenging part for me throughout was this this idea of can I enjoy myself and race at the same time? And um, so on the, again, I go back and forth. The Southern Tier, so much of the enjoyment was talking to people yeah. and visiting, and I didn't want to lose that on the the Trans Am because. And by the way, this was part of the country I had never been before. Mm. So everything was new to me. And so, but if I wanted to to do really well in the race, that meant I, I, I'm, I can't stop, right? I can't talk to people. And, um, and I, and that conflict was, that was, that never ended. I, yeah. I always sort of wrestled with that. And I ended up probably, uh, you know, some days I, I, I talked to more people than I probably should have. And other days I, I didn't. Um, there were days when I just didn't care. Um, I was felt like a zombie. Um, I, uh, just wanted to get it over with. And, um, it was just, you know, why am I doing this? Like, what am I trying to prove? You know, th- that absolutely was, um, um, you know, happened to, for me in the race. Um, and, and then I do remember like when I got to Virginia again, it was sort of, you know, you know, happy ending, right. All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm excited, you know, I'm kind of my last, my last, uh, state. And, uh, I didn't feel anything. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, didn't understand why. Um, it was just sort of like a, uh, until that last day, the last day I, re- you know, I, I left Mechanicsville into Virginia, into the Yorktown monument. And I just remember, when I left thinking if every day could be like this, I might do this again. It had kind of, kind of come around full circle, but you know, you know, sort of the, the logical sequence is like, you know, you're excited at the beginning, you, you kind of have the tough middle. And then at the end, you're so excited because you're yeah. going to finish. And that didn't, that wasn't the, the way the, the, the case for me until that last day, when I realized I was on the cusp of, you know, you know, completing something that, um, I mean, I couldn't imagine uh, having done like a, a year ago when I was really sitting in my, in my, in my, on my couch, not feeling too good about myself. Yeah, that's pretty amazing when you think of it that way. Like you look at it in the in the span of a year, you went from a guy who, you know, athletic, having played basketball competitively with friends and leagues and stuff so long, but like not riding much and going from you know probably getting out on that first ten mile bike ride to to cycling across America twice which is uh pretty awesome 
No, I, I, and I, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very thankful. Uh, I'm very fortunate, uh, you know, health wise and also just having the time and, and sort of something inside sort of pushing me to not settle and to get out there and actually to take on the risk and, and to, to really, to, um, uh, to get out there and, and to really have this experience that I realize, I realize it's unique. And, um, and I, you know, I, I, I actually enjoy the, the fact when someone will pick up the phone and call and, and I have this on occasion and ask me about the experience cause they want to do something like that. Mm. And, uh, if, and, and if they can, if I can like get someone to, to do that then, or at least to try to, you know, share my experience and realize it's not as daunting as, you know, I'm not talking about the race. I'm talking about the ride now. Um, that, that to me is rewarding. Um, because, um, you know, I, I had a, uh, when I called the adventure cycling association first time, when I talked to them and said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Uh, a, a young woman, uh, named Emma, she was their, their salesperson there that picked up the phone and, and she was amazing, like positive. Oh, you can do this. Cause I was kind of like, do you think I can do this? I'm 56. Okay. I don't know. And yeah. she was like, and had she kind of given me a different like answer, I don't know if I would have taken that next step and, and yeah. you know, and, and called the whippany cycle. So, um, I, I, I re I'm very real with people when they, when they ask me about it, but I just, I just love talking about, you know, what it's like to be on the saddle and seeing America up close and, um, you know, it's there's nothing like it yeah and rolling into um is it the liberty monument is that what that's at the end in virginia it, it's the uh yorktown victory monument York so victory that's monument. the yeah yeah so it's beautiful beautiful monument um you know kind of uh at one point i thought maybe i could reach the victory monument on july 4th you know independence day which was you know that's the last battle of, of the war for independence right. was in yorktown and I'm thinking to myself, how cool would that be to arrive and uh, on on Independence Day? And, and I did the math. You know, I calculated where I forget where I exactly I was in the country. And I, I had to increase my miles to like 175 a day. And I, said, oh. I don't think I. <laughs> so I said, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't know if I could do that. So yeah. maybe next time. <laughs> was your family there to meet you at the end or uh, was it kind of one of those, um, you know, like a bike packing race, a lot of times you finish in the middle of the night and you're there by yourself and you go, yay. But, uh, you know, how was it for you? What was it like? Yeah. So, uh, my, my wife was there, my son and my niece, my, my two daughters that were working, so they couldn't make it. It was really terrific. Uh, you know, the, um, the trail angels, there were a couple yeah. of folks there. That was awesome. And then the, the gentleman who beat me, finished the day before me his name is Rolf Riley so you know we we're we're track you know we have the the spot devices yeah. so we're tracking and stuff so you know at some point i see you know rr and lw's following rr and i'm trying to catch him and i could never catch him but he waited <laughs> for me the next day oh that's nice and then before so he met me at the at the uh at the monument and that was really cool um yeah. and so you know we've been in touch a little bit over the last you know couple of years and stuff but that was it and you know so you know again it's you got to the monument um pictures you know a few people there I, you know i said a few things just really thanked everyone for being there and um you know put the bike on the car and half hour later we're on the road and heading home and um you know, called my, my, uh, my folks, my brothers, I have four brothers and, 
Oh, wow. uh, my, my girls and just said, Hey, dad's home. And, um, I'm really excited. And I shaved finally, my son didn't want to see me. Sh- he didn't want to see any of the pictures that I posted because he wanted to see his dad, what he looked like, you know, after finishing, you know, not only having lost like 30, 30 pounds or whatever, but also having a full, like a month, month of, of without shaving. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I said, "Hey, Brian, what do you think of Dad at the at the Yorktown Mine?" He goes, "It's pretty cool." And then, uh, and then, like within an hour, I was like, I had that thing off because it was oh, it was so itchy. I yeah. hated it. I'll never do that again. <laughs> and so. and um, did you have the post tour blues or post race blues on this occasion, or was it th- different? It was it. It was different. Um, so this time. Um, I, I kind of got it out of my system, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so what I did this time, uh, Chris, is I, I so I wrote a manuscript. So I got back in July of two two nineteen, and um, and then for about a six month period of time, I sat in front of the computer and I just wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And uh, so you I still weren't working. Huh? Mind, <laughs> I was not where I was interviewing. Oh, okay. Good. So except for the except for the five days I was on an interview with this one company, I ended up working you know, for, uh, except for those five days, I literally was in front of the computer just Uh, all day writing. And I, and I thought that I would, my mind would fade over time. So, you know, I wanted to get things down Mm -hmm. while it was fresh in my mind. And I never thought I was going to publish or anything. I just figured it was, you know, a manuscript that would be on the shelf when I'm long gone, you know, the future generations can read about their crazy uncle. Really. That was the idea. And, um, so then I did go back to work and then we all know what happened in, in, uh, in uh, March of 220 COVID yep. hit. And so kind of things got upended and, you know, people were saying, you're going to, you're going to write a book. And they've been kind of saying that for many months. And I, I said, no, I'm not going to write a book. And um, I said, I did it for me. I didn't raise money. I didn't, except for the Facebook, I wasn't like announcing it to the world or whatever. And um, but then I realized that I was asking or sort of kind of posing the wrong question. I I realized I was like, you know what, from a from September of 2018 to to July of 2019, 10 months, I rode 7300 miles through 18 states and 528 towns. I was like, why wouldn't everyone want to read about the experience that I was fortunate, to, uh, mm-hmm. fortunate to have once I kind of had that thought it was like a dog with a bone and so i at that point i did reach out to a publisher and um and then uh, south carolina they came back and they said you're we like your manuscript and we recommend you break it into two books not one because you have two stories and that's kind of how the two books came so uh yeah so then i rewrote the first suit to saddle cycling to self-discovery on the southern tier uh and that came out about a year ago um and uh, and then over the last year, I've been writing the second, which is 40 to finish, uh, cycling to victory on the Trans Am bike trail. And so that was just published last week, actually, or released last week. And um, so that's how that all came about. It was like, nice. um, you know, yeah. And so I uh, yeah. And so I, you know, I talk and I love talking to folks. Hopefully you can pick up in my uh, our conversation here that I, I enjoy talking about uh, the rides and yeah. about the experience. That's great. And is there going to be a, a trilogy? Is there going to be a third one to make a trilogy? 60, 60 to satisfaction or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, well, you know, all good, good things come in threes, right? Exactly. That's what they say. <laughs> and uh, I'm getting closer to your neck of the woods. Cause as you're well aware of the Northern tier, right? 
So uh, I, I don't know, actually, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm back to work. Um, and I'm, you know, it, it's it, I, I'm doing a job now. I'm to, I'm done with the corporate world. Oh, I'm okay. working. I'm working for a Department of Labor. I help vets find veterans find jobs, Good. and the hours are flexible so that I'm able to do talks at night and and so forth. So I'm enjoying myself now. Yeah. Uh, my son is you know a senior in high school. He's you know looking at colleges and stuff. So I'm able to do that. Um, but some point in the future, I think yeah. if I were to do this again, I, I might do the Northern Tier. I think that would be really, really cool. And I've got an idea on on a book for that one, too. But that's 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 in the future. That's awesome. <laughs> so. All right. And um, yeah, so um, I guess that's it. What's next for you? Is there anything I miss that you want to talk about? I think we've uh, we've had a good talk. Yeah, no, this no, I I, I appreciate this, uh, uh, Chris. Just an uh, opportunity, just to chat. And no, I, I think uh, I always like to say, you know, don't don't forget those local bike shops. Yeah. Those, uh, you know, I really think that um, in for my for me that was so helpful for for me to be able to really have the confidence to be able to get out there and and to mm-hmm. take on this experience. But um, and and just seeing you know seeing the world, you know on a bicycle is just nothing like it, you know? And yeah. so I'm real happy about the, being able to, um, to do what I, I had you know opportunity to do for about a year period of time. And now I'm back to getting up in the morning and the back hurts, the knee hurts. And, you know, I'm just yeah. sort of back to the old Larry <laughs> before the bike rides. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the new Larry's there. He's just hidden down. Yeah. Under the... <laughs> um, so where can people learn more about your adventures and find out about your books? Yeah, so uh, my I have a website. It's it's uh, www.larry-walsh.com. And I have, you know, the book stuff is there. I have videos, I have interviews, I have a lot of pictures. I update it quite a bit. I do a monthly newsletter maybe every other month. Uh, my goal is to eventually ha- talk about every one of the 528 towns that I rode through. Oh, cool. So that's sort of the idea on these newsletters, like a different town each month or whatever. And um, it's, you know, the books are available, ebook and um, paperback, widely available, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, you know, every, they're, they're available everywhere. So, um, yeah, so, and I, and I also, if someone is just interested in having a conversation, just, you know, I, I my contact information just, I'm not bu- I'm not too busy to have a conversation with anyone that wants to talk about the Shoot cycling you a or, message through the website and yeah, yeah or exactly or um, you know or about you know sort of changing careers when you're close to 60 mm. which is essentially what I've done so awesome all right well Larry thanks for taking the time to have this conversation you don't have to hang up but I will say bye and end the recording so uh, once again thank you for coming on the show and uh, keep in touch Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it so much. I really enjoyed myself. Bye-bye. Bye. I just want to take a real quick minute to thank Larry for taking the time to be on the podcast, sharing his story, and um, yeah, telling, him about, telling us about this massive change in his life that came at age 56. It's, uh, it's pretty inspirational for those of us out there. Um, I know many people who who post on Facebook and Instagram and talk about, you know, dreaming to be able to do this kind of thing. And, you know, it's never too late. There's always a chance opportunities arise or sometimes bad luck can lead to fantastic changes. So Larry, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And, uh, I look forward to releasing the next, 
next episode shortly. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketoadventures.com or go to the website biketoadventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the touring tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.